Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Good morning, church. Well, today's a special day in which we're celebrating mothers in our community and their commitment towards raising children always astounds uh, many of us men. So on behalf of the men in the house, I do want to extend a very special thank you to you this morning. If you give you a hand. But also, uh, we're here, as uh, Barb reminded us, we're here because of of our mothers, but um, we're also here because of many significant mothers in our life who have invested into our lives. And I'm reminded this morning of my my great aunt who never married, she never had children, uh, but she invested the qualities that we celebrate on Mother's Day into the lives of many children, including myself. And I really can't think of a better way to celebrate these kind of faithful women than within the context of a church family. So would you join me in thanking those mothers as well? Thank you for that. I don't know about you, but growing up in my house, my mom was the bargain hunter. Do we have any bargain hunting moms in the house this morning? There you are. We thank you for that. You know, my mom, she would draw coupons at the cash register like they were her weapons and it was the Wild West. You know, anything that was half price, that was to be stockpiled. You know, she would come home with a big grin on her face and she would say, good news, family. Two years of toilet paper has all been sorted. And we never have to buy tuna fish again. If mangoes were on sale, we'd be eating mangoes. Breakfast, lunch, dinners, mangoes, always mangoes. Kmart did this this thing uh, when I was young on Saturdays. They called it the the blue light special. Uh, Oh, you do? You you know this, don't you? (laughs) So the blue light special, I think it was banned because it was turning moms into suburban hunters. Each department would have this blue light, and it was a strobe light. And when it would begin to flash, everything in that department suddenly was on sale. And so moms would be circling those departments with their trolleys like vultures, ready to hit on the prey. And suddenly, the light would flash. And moms would go into beast mode. Pimple-faced teenage staff became innocent victims as a frenzy of moms would collectively roll through the department with their kids dragging behind the trolleys. Hang on tight, little Ryan. Mama's got this one. Men, you don't realize that these trolleys have a gear. They come equipped with a gear that we don't know about. It is four-wheel drive. (laughs) Moms know about this gear. And it is amazing what those little carts can roll over when they're in that gear. Baggage, small people, no problem. I got this one. One day, my parents came home with a special bargain, and it was just for me. I was so excited. They brought me home a brand new chest 
for it with drawers in it and everything, something I could put my clothes into. But this chest, it was a bargain, right? It wasn't complete. It was just rough, unfinished pine. It had no handles, it had nothing special to it, there was nothing ready about it, N not yet. And so we took this project into the garage and it's where my dad began to teach me how to sand back the wood, to take off the rough edges, to stain it, to protect it with a glossy finish and turn it into a finished product. And the whole process to me offers a picture of Christian maturity, what it means to allow God to enter into our life and to grow us up into sons and daughters, to let Him do a good work in our life so that we become His finished product. Sons and daughters, fully alive, fully human. If you've ever worked with stain and gloss, you would know that getting it right takes a lot of effort. It requires time, patience, discipline, layer after character building layer where we keep saying yes to God's work in our life. And there are no shortcuts. You know if you've worked with wood, there's, there's a stain that goes over top. And then once that dries, the first layer of gloss is applied. And it settles and it hardens into the wood and all the imperfections, the cracks become smooth. Bad habits and rough edges repeatedly and sometimes painfully stripped away so that godly character can then seep more into our own character. Day after day, choice after choice. And suddenly, after a while, once enough layers of gloss have built up, can actually begin to see a reflection. Can you hear what I'm pointing towards? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him, choice after choice, as we are changed into His glorious image. This is God's work in us. Sons and daughters, a finished product. I believe one of the greatest issues facing the church ahead will be growing into Christian maturity. Western culture increasingly expects instant results, doesn't it? We have Instagram, Insta coffee, Insta booking, but there is no such thing as Insta character. People want end results without the struggle to get there. We want triumph without realizing that maybe the process of going through adversity, trusting the Lord that prepares us to achieve it. There are no shortcuts in our growing up with Christ. Only what Eugene Peterson describes as a long obedience in the same direction, over and over, a day at a time, following Him. And so today I'm concluding our From the Heart series where I'm talking about how to let God turn your adversity into triumph. And as we explore the life of Joseph, we find that God had given him a dream for his life. But along that way, as he was heading towards that dream that he was excited for, he experienced adversity. 
within his family life, within his workplace, within his relationship. Life wasn't going to plan. There was a roadblock. There were disappointments. And maybe you understand what that's like. Maybe you thought you would be married in your 20s and you find yourself in your 40s and you're thinking, I wasn't planning for this. I thought this was going to happen. I was hoping for this to happen. Or maybe you've been saving up and you go into retirement and you're ready to enjoy the golden years and you find suddenly you're having health issues and you're saying, I wasn't expecting this to happen this way. Or maybe you're having financial difficulties. Or maybe by now, at this time in your life, you thought you would have a family. And you're thinking to yourself, I, I thought by now things would have turned out like this, but I've experienced adversity, a roadblock, something in the way. And for Joseph, it would have been so tempting along that way to lose faith, to compromise, to settle on something less than God had in mind. But he trusted along the way. And he remained faithful to God's character despite layer after layer after layer of his life being sanded back. But by the end of his life, he's discovered God had been using those places of adversity to shape him, to mold him, and to prepare him for a future that God had in mind all along. And it's true for us even today that our commitment to God's work in our life, to trust him along the way, that has the power of turning any adversity we might face into triumph. Would you pray with me as we open the word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us through it all. And as we open the word this morning, we explore the life of Joseph. Would you draw out for us truths that we need to hear today? For whatever we're at this morning, that you would speak into our life and we go home ready to face tomorrow because you've given us hope for today. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. God's people said Amen. Well, I'm going to be plowing through a lot of passages this morning, so hang on tight. I'm skipping through it. But the story begins with a dream. In Genesis 37, it begins with a dream. At the age of 17, Joseph was in a messy family situation. His mom had died. His father, Jacob, had been playing favorites with the kids. That never works out well. He had been given a special robe. It made him a target to his brothers. And all this favoritism made him so unpopular with his brothers. And so from that moment, from the very beginning that dream begins, he's experiencing adversity. Genesis 37, 5 through 10 reads, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I've had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Listen, he said, I've had another dream. Oh, great. And this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He's talking about having honor in the family, in the history of the family. And when he told his father 
as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. It's such an arrogant sounding dream, isn't it? Joseph didn't use wisdom with the revelation. He lacked the maturity to understand when God reveals something, it doesn't mean we need to go share it with everybody around us. Now, we're not told why God gave Joseph this dream, but I suspect it was given to build trust and faith that despite the coming adversity, God would have a plan in mind. Now, if you think you've had family problems, just check out how bad it gets. Verse 19, the brothers eventually says to one another, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. They threw him into the pit, a water cistern. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming along on their way to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood, if we murder him? Come, let's sell him instead to these Ishmaelites. After all, he is our brother. He is our own flesh and blood. And all the brothers agreed. You ever have a dream that didn't quite go to plan? Rather than being lifted up into a position of leadership, he's thrown down into the pit. He's sold into slavery. And the very thing that marked him out as being someone special, this robe had been thrown away, torn from him. Every outward appearance in his life indicated that things were going the wrong way. But how many of us here know that God is into making great reversals in our lives when things don't seem to be going the way we expect? He has a plan in mind that he has a vision that is beyond our own and we can trust him. This was not the end of a dream. It was the beginning of an adventure, of a growth plan. He goes then from the pit to Potiphar. Genesis 39, 1 through 10. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, bought Joseph. The Lord was still with Joseph so that he prospered. So Potiphar left everything he had to Joseph's care. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be near her. This temptation here might be more powerful than we realize. Day after day, he's being pursued by Potiphar's wife. She's probably very beautiful. She's obviously a smart woman. She's clever. She's intelligent. He can't avoid her. He can't quit his job. Refusing her was dangerous. And I am sure there must have been moments when he would have thought something like, you know, God, I I had this dream. You gave me this dream. But life has not turned out like I expected. Here I am a slave. Why don't I compromise? Why not? Who's going to know? Do you even know I'm here, God? 
Who's going to find out? Verse 11 says, one day things came to a head. Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called all the servants together and said, Look, he came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak and ran out of the house. And when Joseph's master heard this fabricated story of the wife, he was then thrown into prison. In this moment of decision, where things had come to a head, Joseph remained committed to God. He chose character over compromise, and as a result, he's thrown into prison. Thanks, Lord. I just did the right thing, and here I am. It just got worse. Sometimes we do the right thing, and it costs us something, doesn't it? It might cost us everything. Well, despite all the adversity he had been facing and experienced in his life, he was determined to remain committed to God. Can you hear it? Verse 9, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? He was committed to the Lord. So when that moment of decision arrived, he already knew what he had to do. He already realized that if I don't run, I might lose the dream. If I step out of line with God's character, I can't keep in step with the kind of person he's helping me to become. So even if I have to rip off my coat to get away, I will do it. I'm going to leave whatever is holding me back and holding me back from what God's plans are in my life. I won't compromise. I won't settle for something less. Because God has better things in mind. The secret of Joseph's capacity to overcome was that he had decided in, his va- in advance to let his life be shaped by God, to reflect his character, to know his values, choice by choice. One day at a time. So when the moment of decision had arrived, he was ready. He was prepared. If you're not prepared to pursue God through times of adversity, when it comes to your moment of decision, you will not be prepared. You will trip, you will stumble, you will compromise for what's quick and easy rather than what's good and right. Instant character will not prepare you for your moment of decision. It requires a daily pursuit of hearing his voice, learning about his character, understanding what he's doing in our life, in prayer, a study of his word, allowing him to build our character one layer at a time, one choice at a time. The battle doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Be ready for those moments of decision. Verse 20 continues, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Even still, he showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those that were held in prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. 
I love that despite the adversity, despite it all, it so clearly says to us, the Lord was with him. From the pit to Potiphar, from Potiphar to prison, the Lord remained with him all along. And I find that so encouraging, that even in our own lives, when every outward appearance makes us think that things are going the wrong way and everything has been stripped away, that the Lord is with us. That he is faithful. While Joseph then is awaiting trial in prison, and in those days you could wait for years. And they weren't nice prisons. They were, they were terrible situations. Nothing like you might see or think about in modern times. He didn't lose hope. He clung on to his faith. And even in his humble position as a slave, as a prisoner, he continued to show his good character with a willing heart to serve and to bless and to care for people around him. It earned him a position as a trusted administrator in the prison. And we know that he was encouraging people along the way. One such person that he encourages is a particular inmate who happened to be a former cupbearer of the king. He was, a position, was in a position of influence. And for whatever reason, this cupbearer who was, who was in, right next to the king all the time had the ear of the pharaoh had lost favor and he was thrown into prison and he's discouraged and he has this dream. And Joseph goes to him and he interprets the dream and he says to this in, in Genesis 40, 13, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But... When it all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to de be uh, deserving to be thrown in the dungeon. Not long after the cupbearer is restored to his position as Joseph said he would be, he had the ear of the king finally it looks as if Joseph is finally going to get a break in life. Friends through thick and thin, right? Verse 23 says, But the cheap cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You get to this point in the story and you begin to think, it sounds to me like Joseph is living a bad country song. God had given him a dream for his life. He had hopes and expectation. But his family sold him off. His boss has thrown him in prison. And then his one friend that might be able to help him forgets about him. Do you know what that's like? Maybe you do. Maybe you know what it's like to have a dream and you share it with someone in your family and you're expecting support and they don't understand you. Or maybe you've experienced injustice in your workplace where you've gone and done the right thing and it's cost you something. Or maybe your friends weren't there when you needed the support. But like Joseph, I wonder, 
if we realize that God is with us in the moments of adversity, doing His good work, that we can trust Him to continue His good plan in our life. And He might be preparing you for something even better all along. You can trust Him. Genesis 41 says, when two full years had passed, two years in prison, Pharaoh had a dream. Verse 8, and in the morning, his mind was troubled by that dream. So he sent for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them their, his dream, but nobody could interpret it for him. Then the chief cupbearer, said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. That's a real positive way of saying, oops, <laughs> I forgot Joseph. How awkward. <laughs> so Joseph is summoned to the king and we find him saying this in verse 28. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine are going to follow. Now let Pharaoh look for a, a discerning and a wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Then they should collect all that food and those good years that are coming and store up that grain so that the country may not be ruined by famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all the officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this all known to you and there is no one as discerning and as wise as you, you should be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. It had been 13 years since he had been sold into slavery. 13 years. Or at any moment, it would have been so easy to say, it's all too much. I can't keep hanging on to the dream. I'm going to compromise for something less. You know, people might often say to us when we're experiencing trouble, you know, it's all going to be all right in the end. And we know that's true, but that's not really the problem. When we expect something to happen in our life, even when we expect something good to come into our life, it costs us something. We don't really have to remember that hope costs us something. Waiting in a position of readiness, even when we know something good is going to happen, costs us something along the way. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And time after time again, Joseph's life was being deferred. His life was being sanded back, stripped away. But at the same time, it was those moments of adversity that God was using to apply another layer of his character, of his tenacity, of his faithfulness, of leadership, training, and, of, and administration, of godly wisdom, of courage, of compassion, of faithfulness, of self-control, a reflection of 
God's own character. And it was so powerful in that moment when the time had arrived that even Pharaoh could stand back and say, surely God is alive and at work in this person before me. And during this time of crisis, I'm going to put you in charge. How incredible is it that when we're faithful to God, who is always faithful to us, that in a moment of adversity and in crisis, that people in our workplace, people in our families, people around us can say, surely God has been at work in this person. And we're going to put them in charge. We're going to get them to advise during this time of crisis. When there's famine in the land, we're going to put this person. Because you've got the skills formed inside of you. You've got the character it takes to save lives during a time of famine. Can you hear what I'm saying? From the pit, to Potiphar, to prison, to the palace. These barriers have become the training ground for a greater purpose ahead. Joseph's commitment to God's work in his life taught him how he can turn any adversity we face into triumph. And what I wonder today is what adversity are you facing? When the time of famine finally came, it brought about this dramatic reunion between Joseph and his brothers. Genesis 42 says that when Joseph's father learned that there was grain in Egypt during the famine, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? What a classic. Why are you looking at each other? We're starving here. Go get some food in Egypt. I'm hungry. Don't mess with the grumpy old man. So when his brothers arrived, Joseph recognized them, but they couldn't recognize him after so many years had passed. They didn't realize that the powerful ruler that they were buying grain from was their very own brother that they had sold into slavery. And after a series of events, Joseph finally decides that at a dinner table that he is going to reveal who he is to his brothers. But the amazing part is that he's not interested in retribution or in punishing them or in teaching them a lesson, telling them how it is. God's character had grown him beyond that. He wants to extend blessing to them of life, of hope. Just listen to the heartbeat behind his words in Genesis 45, 3, 18. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It's me. Is my father still living? I get a little bit emotional about this because you begin to look back on his life and you realize and you might realize, even in, in your life, that commitment and what it takes to get a heart like this of being faithful and committed to God who is always faithful to us. 
the cost of that to have a heart like this. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified. What's he going to do to us, you know? And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come, come close. Come to me. And when they had gathered around him, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And for two years, there's been a famine in the land and the next five, there's going to be a famine that keeps going. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He begins to look at his life. You were planning to kill me. But then came a caravan. It was all part of God's plan. I was in Potiphar's house. And I was tested. And I thought I'd prevailed and I was thrown in prison, but God had a plan. And I was languishing in prison. I didn't know when that time would end. I didn't know how it was going to finish. But in God's plan, in that perfect moment, that couldn't have been brought about any other way, I was called up to the palace. For a time such as this, for the saving of many lives, it was all in God's plan all along. We can trust in God's plan all along. It says, then he threw his arms around his brothers and he wept, he embraced them, and he, while he's weeping, he, he spoke to them, he spoke kindly, he spoke words of promise, he spoke words of blessing. He could see how God's hand was in it all along. See, Joseph's dream was never about power or money or a position in the palace. It was about becoming the man that he, God had intended for him to become. That was the dream. Being shaped into his image, his character. For Joseph, the turning of adversity into triumph wasn't about a position in the palace. What he's celebrating here is that God had put him in a position to save lives. Blessed to be a blessing to his family, to Egypt, and beyond. That's the triumph you celebrate. In the final passage, Joseph concludes by saying these now famous words in 50 verse 20, you intended harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I wonder if you can hear just a bit of Christ's own character in this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that 
whatever we may be experiencing today, that whatever barriers we've faced, whatever trials have come our way, that you have been faithful to us and we can trust you. Father, I pray that you would begin to give us a revelation, an understanding of how you are at work in our lives even now. That you would begin to shape our character in a society, in a culture that expects things in an instant sort of way. Father, would we depend on you? Seek your face. says that those who put their hope in you will not be ashamed. That you will be with us through it all, every adversity. So Father, Father, we put our trust in you again. Shape our lives into your finished product. Turn us into sons and daughters. We thank you for your faithfulness. On a day such as this where we celebrate all the mothers and all the spiritual mothers and the character that they show to us continue to shape our character into your own so that even people that don't yet know you would say, surely God is present in this person. Surely they have good news they can share. Surely they have news that can bring me life, just like Pharaoh did. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.